Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us to become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners to the program know that every week we do a regular Friday news roundup. Those are the episodes that I co-host with Natasha Smith. Uh, But these Ministry Watch extra episodes, the one you're listening to now, is a chance for us to go deep, you might say, with some of our editorial partners or with someone who I think has something significant to say. And today I'm pleased to have on the program Dr. Patrick Wright. Uh, Patrick Wright is the Thomas C. Vandiver Bicentennial Chair in Business and the Director of the Center for Executive Succession at the Darla Moore School of Business, which is at the University of South Carolina. So, Pat Wright, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Warren. And, you know, Patrick, the reason that I wanted to have you on the program, you you know, but I'm going to explain to our listeners, you and I are both regular speakers at the Colson Fellows Program. We happen to be speaking at the same day a couple of different times in the last year or two, and I've been hearing your presentation and just been really impressed by it. You've been discussing some issues that I think are of vital interest to folks that care about ministry or leadership generally. And um, so I'm going to take a very very long present, well, not overlong, but a robust presentation that you did to the Colson Fellows and just ask you about certain aspects of it. And those aspects relate to why leaders go bad and what we can do to prevent those leaders from going bad. So I guess first I should say, Patrick, welcome to the program and tell me why do CEOs tend to fail whenever they've been maybe so successful for a long time in their careers? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've been doing research on around this area, and it's really more around CEO succession. Um, and how is it that boards go about choosing a CEO? But uh, a few years back, we had one of our advisory board members who s- said, you know, I, I think you should interview board members and find out um, what they think success looks like and how they would define whether or not a CEO they had chosen actually was successful. And, you know, when, when he said that, uh, my initial inclination was to say, that's going to be obvious. Board members are going to look at the financials. Um, and if a CEO isn't delivering on the financials, then, you know, they, they have failed um, and they, they chose the wrong CEO. But we ended up interviewing about 20 board members. And these board members sat on, I forget, it was like 60 some different boards. They had been through over 100 um, CEO successions um, combined. And so the way we structured our, our interviews with them were, uh, tell us about the most successful CEO succession you've ever been part of, and then tell us about the least successful, kind of the biggest failure as a CEO succession that you've ever been part of. And then based on those kind of critical incidents, we dig down and ask them questions about, you know, so how did it, how the process work? What did you look at? And so on. Um, and, and what we found kind of interesting is that we actually didn't, this wasn't the initial intent um, of, the, of the study, but as they would talk, they would talk about kind of why the CEOs failed. We were just interested in how did they know, you know, what was the data that they were looking at 
Um, and, and, and a lot of it was, uh, you know, surprised me. It wasn't the financials. It was, you know, how the CEO took command of the team, how the CEO got along with the board. Um, did they articulate a strategy and so on? Uh, and, and so it, it was much more of the subjective, um, less, less tangible things that boards were looking at. But as I mentioned, in, in talking about, you know, kind of why somebody failed in the CEO role or why somebody succeeded in a CEO role, what you began to hear were common themes. And, and so particularly with failed CEOs, um, it was almost always they were arrogant, okay? They just, they really thought they were the smartest person in the room. And so that's kind of related to the second thing is that they failed to listen to anyone else um, because they thought they had all the answers um, they weren't looking to their team. They weren't looking to the board. Um, they weren't asking advice of anyone. And when that advice was given, um, they would just kind of discount it. Uh, and and uh, um, you know, thanks very much, but you know, I think I got this uh, handled. Um, and then the last thing was that they're pretty selfish. Um, and so we often hear about you know CEO greed or executive greed and so on. And and. You know, frankly, um, yeah, yeah, certainly there are greedy people, but that's something that, that all of us uh, deal with in one way or another. But um, what you saw there is people, they refer to a CEO as being coin operated. Mm-hmm. Like all they cared about was the money. Um, and it was, you know, all they cared about was the perk or whatever, the, the um, retirement package. It was all about maximizing the outcomes for them as opposed to the successful CEOs that they talked about as being humble. Um, and, you know, that with this humility, uh, and again, it's this idea of, you know, not, not thinking less of themselves, but thinking more of other people and recognizing that other people actually had more information than they did. Um, and, and so leveraging that knowledge rather than thinking you have it all. The second thing was that instead of failing to listen to people, they actually sought out feedback. Um, they would go to the board and say, you know, help me out, help me understand what I need to do better. Um, you know, how am I coming off? And usually individual board members, how am I coming off with the board? Um, what am I doing that, that, you know, you guys get excited about? What are the things that I'm doing that don't excite you? And then last is that they're really unselfish, that, you know, certainly they accepted the money, um, but that that wasn't what drove them. Yeah. Well, Patrick, I, f- I found uh, those insights really interesting because even though you were doing, if and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think I've got this right, even though you were doing interviews with for-profit corporation CEOs, it is amazing to me how relevant these same ideas are to many of the nonprofit uh ministry failures that we have seen recently with Ravi Zacharias and James McDonald and others. Uh, there, there was a sense of entitlement that had sort of settled on them, that they were not seeking feedback. In fact, they were trying to insulate themselves from feedback in many ways. And um, even though they were not coin-operated, which I love that expression, by the way, coin-operated maybe in the sense that a for-profit CEO would be, um, there was kind of a fascination, an infatuation, um, a lust for and um, um, bigness, and keep and keeping the growth going, and uh, and you know having a private plane. I know we we did an, a couple of articles with a ministry leader that actually had private planes, and um, and so. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, I know you're a committed Christian believer working in a secular environment, but had, did it strike you that there's not that much difference, that people are kind of the same? 
Yeah. So uh, again, looking at some of the, you know, I don't know what we call them, scandals, um, failures of some of our Christian leaders over the past few years. Um, you know, every time I see one of those, uh, you know, it, it's more heartbreaking for me because of what they can and, and maybe have done for the kingdom of God um, and, and how that failure comes off. But at one level, it's not surprising. Um, it is human nature. It is that basic sin nature. And, you know, again, um, when, when I talk about it with executives, um, believe it or not, most secular executives don't want to hear the sin nature. Um, and, and so I'll just talk about this idea of human frailties and, and you know, the, the Solzhenitsyn quote about the fact that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I try and get across to them that it is not about good people and bad people. It's the good and the bad that's in all of us. And so when I see it with a Christian leader, I'm not surprised by that. Um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're saved. Um, you know, we've got the Holy Spirit, but we still have the sin nature as well. And so, um, you know, it is just those human failings that come about uh, as, as part of, you know, that, that uh, fallen nature that we've got. Well, I want to pivot a little bit in our conversation, Patrick. Um, we don't have time to go into all of the research that you did, uh, but hopefully we'll have you back on the program and we can talk about uh, that some more. But um, okay, so so when you interviewed these uh, these um, board members about what what made a successful CEO and what made a failed CEO, you ended up with those particular characteristics. You also kind of dug in a little bit into how you can look for those characteristics coming down the road before the leader actually kind of goes completely off the rails. Um, what are some signs, in other words, that people are moving from, you know, a, a, an era of success? Because let's face it, these people wouldn't be in executive positions in the first place if they didn't, if they haven't had some level of success in their career. But what causes them to derail? You mentioned things like they stop listening to others. They surround themselves with yes people. Um, say more about those two, but also what are some of the other findings that you had? Yeah, well, and so I, I keep in mind as we talk about this that you know my uh, my belief is that you know when we get to the level of a CEO who fails because of all of these things, chances are they weren't like that 30 years ago when they started their career. There may have been some of the inklings of it, but um, you know the fact is they may have been just kind of normal executives that had a you know a normal level of um, kind of pride and and. Uh, I guess selfishness and so, yeah, 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 that, that, and that's just part of being an executive. So I don't, I don't think they start off um, being in that bad level. And again, it's not there are good people and bad people. It's that line uh, that runs through every human heart. But what are the things that you know over time they begin to start displaying these uh, these behaviors? And we'll talk a little bit more about you know what are the things that drive that, but. Um, I'm always trying to get uh, my, my uh, you know, chief HR officer friends to think in terms of, you know, how do you see these things appearing in executives in what I call going to the dark side, right? I mean, they're, they're no longer just kind of a normal level um, of ego and, and pride, and they're moving into this kind of opportunism, you know, where they just, they don't care who they hurt in the process um, or this level of hubris. And, you know, I think one of the first things you do see is that they just stop listening to other people. Um, and it goes back to that, that failure to listen, that um, they, they begin that, that hubris takes over to where they think they know everything. They think they're the smartest person in the room. Um, and so there's not really any reason to get input from other people. Uh, and, it, and it can also be uh, just feedback, right? That uh, it's not that I think I need information to make this decision, but 
you know, when somebody tells me something uh, that they see in me, I just discount it because I don't don't have a need to to uh, don't believe that they're right. And and then this idea of being surrounded by yes people, and this is always kind of a chicken and an egg um, controversy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is that um, they do they surround themselves by yes people, or is the fact that their leadership style means uh, you know comes off as if you if you uh, question me, I fire you or I discipline you or whatever, to where I create yes people uh, without even trying. But but I do think the reality is that. Um, you see people that are uh, executives that are just surrounded by everybody that's telling them how great they are. Well, Patrick, uh, we don't have time to process every item on um, that sort of signs of moving over to the dark side, but I just w- I will mention to everybody that I will, I will put that list in our show notes. But eventually, you down farther down on your list, you get to behavior like treats others disrespectfully and abusively, uh, feel like the rules don't apply to you. And um, that, in some ways, that's kind of the end result. We, we, we tend to start paying attention or getting concerned when we see those behaviors show up in someone's life. But it's actually some of the other behaviors that are maybe not abusive, that, but that we should start be paying attention to, this failure to listen, this failure to seek feedback. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. And, and again, I always refer to this as uh, if you go back to the lost in space and the robot from the original lost in space where, you know, his arms would start going up, going danger, Will Robinson, danger. Right. Um, you know, these are the things that should be the danger signs. It's not it's not proof. Um, it doesn't mean for sure that somebody's going there. But, you know, when you're displaying enough of these behaviors, it should be a warning that there's perhaps bad things coming down the road. And so the sooner you can head those off, I think the better you are. Well, Patrick, we've got to take a quick break. Um, But uh, when we come back, I want to sort of move to the other side of the ledger. We've talked about some of the bad things that uh, cause CEOs to derail and what we can do to kind of look for them. But I want to know what we can build into uh, our corporate cultures and organizational cultures to keep that from happening. I'm Warren Smith. Patrick Wright is my guest. We'll be back after this short message. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. My guest today is Patrick Wright with the University of South Carolina, the uh, Darla Moore School of Business down there, the Center for Executive Succession. He's the director of that uh, organization. Patrick, um, we spent the first part of our conversation so far talking about 
you know, exec, what causes executives to fail? What are the signs of failure? How can we recognize these signs early? But I want to pivot a little bit in our conversation and talk about some things that maybe we can do uh, to prevent failure. Uh, what kind of guardrails should every organization, Christian or non-Christian organization, have in place to keep uh, CEOs from going uh, off track, you might say. Yeah, and I like to think of it in, in really two categories. One is coaching, and this is that one-on-one. And, and again, I work with chief HR officers. You know, they'll often describe their role as being, you know, they're the person that holds the mirror up to the CEO to say, you don't really know how you just came off in that last meeting, but you know, this is what people perceived. You may have thought something different, but um, this is what they heard. This is the message they received. And, and so it's that one-on-one relationship that they've got. And so I think um, you know, to keep leaders from going off, you really need to have somebody around them who is that trusted advisor. Um, you know, I, I refer to it as the counselor, confidant, coach role. Um, and, and what they can do is they can give kind of real-time feedback. So, you know, when, when that leader um, says something in a meeting that comes off the wrong way, um, immediately after the meeting, you know, this individual can pull them aside and say, you know, you may need to apologize, uh, apologize to the group, apologize to the individual, because, you know, again, I, you may not have meant to offend them, but you offended them in some way. Uh, Patrick, let, let me interrupt you there for a second, because I, I get that and I understand the vital importance of that role. Um, I, I want you to speak a little bit to the complexity, though, of a lot of Christian nonprofits, which is that um, a lot of times the CEO is kind of a, a a rock star within that organization. Um, it, it's going to take a very strong personality to stand up to that person. Uh, uh, they may not even have a senior HR professional within the organization. It might not be a, you know, HR might not, other than sort of handling benefits questions or making sure that, you know, my paycheck gets deposited at the right time. They may not have a robust HR role. So can, can a board member play that role? Can an elder or a deacon play that role? Is that something that you should hire an outside coach for? Uh, you know, and I would say all of the above with that. I think of it, you know, the, the Christian community has an advantage because, you know, we have a norm of accountability groups. Um, and, and what is an accountability group? It's a chance for you to have people around you that you trust that are willing to call you out around things. Now, you know, normally that is, uh, it, it may not be the case with the CEO or the pastor of a large mega church. Um, that that accountability group sees how uh, the individual behaves in the workplace. But you know, to have that kind of an accountability group within the church. So again, it could be board members, it could be um, senior executive or senior um, uh, pastors, um, you know, it, it could be elders, um, other people around that have built the relationship with that leader that they've kind of gained the trust to be able to say, you know, listen, I'm not telling you this because I'm mad at you. I'm telling you this because I want you to succeed. Um, and, and if you go down this path, you're not going to succeed, whatever that is. And so it's that, that willingness, you know, just having people around that know them well enough. The problem with board members often is that they don't see enough. 
Um, you know, they may, may come in twice a year for a board meeting, see the CEO um, or the pastor, you know, occasionally, um, and they just don't have the opportunity to observe, you know, what that CEO's behavior, what that leader's behavior looks like. Um, and so the key is it's got to be somebody who's around all the time and has, has built that relationship. And, uh, you know, whether it's an elder, whether it's um, one of the, you know, we have an executive pastor on our staff, um, so maybe it's one of the other pastoral staff, uh, but, but I think there's got to be somebody who contracts with that leader to say, this is part of my job. I view my job as making you successful, and part of that is giving you the feedback you don't want to hear um, and calling you out. And always keeping in mind that I'm doing it for your good, not for my good. Um, but but having that kind of a contracted relationship to where um, it doesn't even have to be a friendship. It's just a, um, a recognition that when I tell you this stuff, you need to listen because I'm not speaking just for me. I'm speaking for others that are saying the same thing behind your back. So you've got the coaching on the one side, and we've already kind of talked about how that what that could look like, and that it's hard. Like you said, board members uh, may not see them often enough. Somebody else might actually, um, you know, be working for the person. It would be hard to speak truth to power in some cases. That's why the other guardrail that you mentioned, Patrick, which I, I want you to spend a couple of minutes on, is also important. This this idea of systems processes and infrastructure. Um, um, what what should be on that guardrail if coaching is on one side? What about processes, zip, uh, systems, and infrastructure on the other side? Yeah, so the coaching is about a personal relationship. The systems processes is really about, you know, do we have um, things in place that are done on a regular basis that are just a normal process that might reveal some of the potential problems? So, for instance, um, you know, we'll say 360 degree feedback. Now, again, it's never 360 if you're talking about the leader of the organization, but, um, you know, are there uh, you know, multi-rater uh, feedback for this per person, particularly when it's done confidentially um, and even anonymously? You know, if we get 10 people that see the leader of this uh, ministry behaving on a regular basis and, and they're pointing out flaws or things that concern them, again, that's the kind of feedback that's hard to deny. It's not just one person saying it. It's multiple people that see the leader saying something uh, could be a potential problem. So it makes it difficult for the leader to deny that. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, I see kind of clear policies about, you know, what are the things we do? So what, one of the examples I often used early on is, um, you know, when we had the this, this scandals, about every 10 years, we had this massive corporate scandals. But uh, we had kind of the dot-com boom and dot-com bust. One of the things that was kind of interesting is that um, it, every company has some kind of a rule for the level of gift you can receive from a vendor. You know, and it's usually something that's got to be, it can't be more than $25 or $50 or something like that. Um, and, you know, everybody's held to that standard that you, know, you can't do. And then the idea is that, you know, you don't want your vendors buying you off and saying, yeah, buy our product. We'll, we'll give you great seats to the uh, World Series. And then you buy our products and, you know, we make tons of money off you. And so there are very clear policies and it makes sense why to do that. But often you'll see the leaders that kind of circumvent those policies. 
Um, you know, they'll go out to dinner with somebody from a vending company that'll take them somewhere really nice, or they'll do um, all kinds of different perks that they're going to get from the vendors. Um, and, and the assumption is, well, I'm I'm not the you know one making the purchasing decision. Well, you are. You influence that decision. Um, and so I think you know again, if you've got the clear policies then that keeps people from getting into a situation where they might be tempted to do the wrong thing. Um, If I know this is the rule and I can't break the rule, that keeps me safe. And if I do break the rule, then again, it's probably back to one of those signs that this may be somebody that's kind of going off um, off the rails uh, to some extent. Yeah, Patrick, let me interrupt you right there and just say that, uh, you know, the example that you gave is a great one, especially if it's a, you know, kind of in a retail setting. Um, in the Christian world, um, it, that looks a little different, and uh, sometimes it can look a little different. doesn't always look different. Sometimes it looks exactly the same. Um, but I would like to recommend to our listeners that they look at the seven standards of financial integrity published by the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. I have my issues with with the ECFA and regular listeners to this podcast know that we've had uh, Michael Martin, the um, CEO of the ECFA, on the podcast before. Uh, But um, for all of my concerns about the ECFA, the seven standards that they have identified are really great places to start in coming up with those clear standards that you're talking about, I think, Patrick. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I think uh, the theme behind those standards and and what'll be one of those kind of systems and processes is just the concept of transparency Um, that, you know, particularly Christian leaders need to be transparent about all aspects of the ministry, where the money goes, what their salary is, um, any other kinds of perks that they're receiving as part of being that. Because um, the fact is, you know, I, I truly believe that, you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant. Um, and if I know that I'm this, I'm going to have to reveal this, it'll be less tempting to do something that might take me down a wrong path. Uh, and, and I think that um, the transparency makes it so that I have to justify what it is I'm doing with with the the ministry's money, um, and you know if, if I can justify it, then great. Uh, obviously, that's something that that uh, you know we need to spend money on or invest in some way. If I can't justify it to to those that are my donors or my board or whatever, um, then that probably suggests that there's some questionable motive behind why it is I want to um, spend this money in, in this particular way. So I think the transparency is really one of the key things. If I have to be honest about how I'm spending money and and what I'm making, um, that will keep me pretty much on on the the good side of of, uh, decision-making for the most part. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, Patrick, unfortunately, I think that 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 might be have to be the place where we end our conversation today. Not that that's a bad place. Transparency, transparency, transparency uh, is a sort of a watchword of Ministry Watch. And I just want to thank you for the research that you've done and for sort of the heart that you bring um, to this research as well. Even though you're doing it at a secular university focused on a secular setting, the, the fact that you've been able to think deeply about these questions and help us apply them to a Christian environment is so helpful. And I, I just really appreciate it. So thank you, Patrick, very much for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. It's great doing this. You know, as I say, I, I was taught uh, at Wheaton College by Arthur Holmes and this idea that all truth is God's truth. So the research I do is fun. I learn, but it's uh, it's useful for a secular environment as well as a ministry environment. 
Well, amen to that. It's certainly been helpful today. Um, let me just bring our program to a close by mentioning a couple of quick housekeeping items. Number one is that in addition to finding this conversation on your podcast app, we also post them on our website uh, along with the show notes that will have some links. I'll have a link, for example, to uh, Patrick's uh, Patrick Wright's uh, Center for Executive Succession and some of the other ideas that we've spoken about today. So go to ministrywatch.com and you'll be able to find ch- click on the podcast tab at the top of the page, and you'll be able to find all of that information. Uh, also, would like to ask you to rate us on your podcast app. That is a free and easy way to help the program. The more ratings we get, the better this podcast performs on search engines like Google and uh, the Apple search engine as well. So just uh, rate us. It's free to do that. Doesn't take but just a couple of seconds. I also wanted to mention that uh, we here at Ministry Watch are donor-supported, and if you'd like to support us financially, you can also go to our website, ministrywatch.com, and hit the donate button at the top of the page. I would mention that this month, if you make a donation in the month of February, uh, you'll get a, a copy of the book, When Helping Hurts by Brian Fickard. It's a classic of charity and philanthropy. I think every Christian donor should have that book in uh, his or her library. We'll send it to you as our thank you gift for a donation to Ministry Watch this month. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. Uh, we get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, uh, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. My name again is Warren Smith, and I've been real pleased to have on the program Dr. Patrick Wright. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.